0: Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, we want to start in Revelation chapter 12 again. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was it in their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Obviously, folks, this chapter is talking about the war between Satan and God. And even more so against the people of God. It's talk, the, uh, the woman that it's referring to is Israel. But notice it also goes beyond Israel. It's talking about the people of God because it speaks of those that have the testimony of Jesus and the blood of Christ as it's uh, to make Jesus our Lord and Savior. So when we look around at things that are taking place in these days, these perilous times, We always have to keep in mind that the backdrop for everything else that's happening, everything that's political that's going on, everything concerning the protests and the, the riots and all the other things, the backdrop for every one of those things that's taking place is Satan warring against the church. Everything boils down to that. Everything we see happening around us that is ungodly, everything that's being done to try to strip us of our rights as a people of this country it's all under the backdrop or playing out on the backdrop of Satan making war against the church now we notice there I think it was in verse 9 which said Satan deceiveth the whole world we also know from many other scriptures that the only thing the devil has to work with is deception when Jesus talked about the parable gave us the parable of the sower sowing the word. There were only two things or two categories of things that he said Satan has to use or has at his disposal to stop the word of God from producing results in our life. With one type of ground or one type of people, it talked about affliction and persecution coming for the word's sake and the people being offended. And then another type of ground, it says, that the word was choked out in their lives To where it didn't produce The results that it was intended to That God wanted it to Because of the cares of this world The deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things So those are the only two categories That the devil's got to work with And it all comes down to deception The first is affliction And persecution or trouble And the other is distraction Those are the things that we're going to need to work on resisting so that the word doesn't become unfruitful in and for us. Now, when it says the devil steps up his efforts because he knows he has a short time, thank God his time is short. He knows his time is short. One of the things that blesses me is one of the first times that Jesus came upon somebody that was demon-possessed he spoke to the evil spirit in the man and told it to come out and apparently it didn't come out right away because he asked questions, the evil spirit asked questions of Jesus saying are you here to torment us before the time? Now folks get this in mind, the first thing, the first example we've got of Jesus dealing with somebody specifically to cast the devil out of him shows us that the evil spirit that was in the man is aware that he has limited time here on the earth. He knows his time is coming. Now, all the time the devil tries to make you afraid of what's going to happen down the road, he knows what's down his road. (laughs) He knows what his future is. Now, how many times have we ever been tempted to do the wrong thing or to believe the wrong thing or to take the wrong action where the devil mentions to us that, now, my time is short. he never talks to us about that does he I think it'd be a good idea for us to remind him from time to time now if the devil's time is short and the only thing he's got to use is deception what does that mean for us does that mean he's gonna lie more how can the devil lie more than all the time is he gonna tell bigger lies What is him stepping up his efforts all about? Folks, we are seeing some things take place in the world that we're in now. And what a different world this is than it was 10 years ago. What a different world we live in than just 10 years ago. One of the things that we're seeing is that institutions are lying to us. People that should be working together with us are taking positions and telling lies to dominate us now there's no surprise what the devil's after the bible's real clear about what the devil wants jesus said in john chapter 10 and verse 10 the thief comes not but for to kill to steal and to destroy so the devil is into killing everything that kills is of the devil everything that destroys is of the devil Everything that steals from us is of the devil. No matter who supports it. No matter where it comes from. Everything that kills, steals, and destroys is of the devil. Now I want to look with you to Matthew chapter 16. And I want you to see something here that identifies how the devil works beginning in verse 13 it says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying whom do men say that I the son of man am and they said some say that you are John the Baptist who was just recently beheaded and some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets and Jesus said unto them but who do you say I am And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now notice what he's saying. Let's stop here for just a minute and, and make a couple of comments. These guys have seen miracles. In fact, Jesus said toward the end of his ministry, talking about the world, the condition of the world and the people that had rejected him particularly the Jews. And he said this, he said, if I had not done the works before them that no other man had done, then they would not be guilty of their sin. In other words, Jesus is saying the miracles that were done in and through him were greater than any other man had performed any other miracles. And God did miracles all throughout the Old Testament. We know that. But Jesus said if I hadn't done more miracles or bigger miracles than anybody else and if they had not seen these things take place then they would have an excuse for their sin and couldn't be held responsible for it. Now Peter has watched these miracles. He along with James and John had a front row seat to everything that Jesus did. Some things even that happened or took place that the other disciples didn't witness for themselves. But Jesus didn't say the miracles convinced him, convinced Peter. He said it was revelation. That was revealed by his father. Folks, the revelation that God gives us carries greater importance than even signs and wonders and miracles. The revelation that we get from his word, the revelation that we receive from meditating his word, which... The Bible defines as speaking the word of God to you, to yourself over and over and over again. That revelation is more important than anything else we can ever experience. Now, a lot of people forfeit that revelation or the benefit of that revelation by not maintaining a close fellowship with God. See, revelation comes as a result of meditating in the word. God told Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, This book of the law, or in other words, the word of God, all they had was the law back then. Thank God we have more. He said, This book of the law, or this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God told you how to prosper. He told you how to have good success. And that is by speaking the word of God to yourself again and again and again. Not just taking a mental position toward the word, but letting that word soak down into your heart and become a real part of you. That's when your eyes are open. That's when the Lord can show us things and reveal himself to us in greater and greater ways. So here it says that Jesus commended Peter for the revelation that he received. Not just because he was paying attention when the miracles took place. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's making a play on words here. He's certainly not saying Peter is the foundation of the church, no matter what the Roman Catholic Church says. The rock that he's talking about is the revelation of who Jesus is. That's what the church is built on. So upon this rock, the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. One of the first and only things Jesus said about the church before he was crucified He identified that the church would be a prevailing force. And he identified that the church was to operate in authority. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, let me ask you this. Are gates an offensive weapon? See, so much of the time we as the people of God, through lack of knowledge or whatever it might be, A lot of times the church is looking at the devil being on the run after them. But Jesus paints a picture of the church that's pressing forward into territory that's under the gates or behind the gates of Satan. And those gates not being able to prevail against the power of this thing called the church. And then he goes further and he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, folks, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he was talking about something very specific. In what's known as the Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer. But in the Lord's Prayer, part of the the prayer is, Thy kingdom come, talking about the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And then he defines what it is Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven so the keys to the kingdom of heaven are the keys to the kingdom of God and in this case not in every case but in this case those terms are interchangeable the keys to the kingdom of heaven is to make the kingdom of God or to make the earth just like things are in heaven God doesn't have a different will for the earth than he has for heaven God's the same he never changes And so what he wants for heaven, he wants for the earth. And the way he made the earth was put the kingdom of God here on the earth. Everything about the things here on the earth were operating as they were in heaven because that was God's intent until man fell and sin entered the scene. Prior to that point in time, the earth was literally the kingdom of God here. God's not one way in heaven and another way on the earth. He's not one way to the people in heaven and a different way or another way to the people here on the earth. God's always the same. His will never changes. There's no variableness in him, neither the shadow of turning. So he commends Peter, and he talks about the authority that the church will operate in. Now let's keep reading a little bit further. Verse 20, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, folks, I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. Grew up in a very simpler way in a very simpler time than what we live in today. And I was taught, and everybody assumed this, but I was taught that everything Jesus did was to prove that he was the Christ. well I don't know how we got around scriptures like this because here Jesus is telling them specifically don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah well what kind of Messiah would come with the purpose of making sure that everybody knows he's the Messiah and then telling his disciples don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah does that make sense to anybody well keep that thought in mind we want to come back to it in just a minute But let's read a little bit further. From that time forth. Jesus began to show unto his disciples. How that he must go unto Jerusalem. And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed and be raised again the third day. At the point that they recognized that he was the Messiah. He began to share with them future events. And the importance of those things taking place. In other words. The revelation of who Jesus was brought the revelation of future to the disciples. But then Peter took him. I'm sure Peter's feeling pretty good about being singled out as the Lord or the Father revealing to him that Jesus was the Christ. But now Peter's going to speak again. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, I'm sure Peter didn't want these things to happen, and that colored a lot of the positions that he took and the things that he said. But notice what Jesus then tells him. Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So you got Peter talking by the Holy Ghost, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, to declare that Jesus Jesus is the Christ. And then just a short time later, maybe even at the same setting, Peter begins to speak contrary to what Jesus said. He begins to speak influenced by the, the, the devil concerning the things that Jesus said would take place. And so Jesus calls it what it is. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now Peter wasn't Satan. He's not railing on Peter because of who he is or the fact that he's been taken over by the devil. He's simply showing us how easy it is to be influenced by God to say one thing and the devil to be be influenced by the devil to say something else. Anytime we depart from the word, folks, we're in the territory where the devil can influence what we say and do. Now, do you think Peter knew that he was speaking by the inspiration of the devil? Here's how deception works. He had no clue that what he was saying, probably out of his love for Jesus and his personal affection for him, he had no idea that that was inspired of the devil. No idea. But again, back to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that thou might have life. Now, folks, whatever we think about it, whatever we feel about it, whatever our opinions are about it, just like with Peter, the Word is the Word of God. And it will be what the Word says it will be. No matter how much we like it some other way or how much we want it to be some other way, God's Word is unchanging. God's Word is eternal. It will be the way that it is. So, folks, any time that we saddle up up with something that takes sides with stealing, killing, or destroying, that's of the devil. You could really meddle and get on some people's toes right here. Because, for example, if you wanted to talk politics, there's a lot of things that are taking place instigated by one of the political parties that steal, kill, and destroy. Now, folks, if that's what the devil does, and those are things that are of the devil, then if we side up with those things in any way whatsoever, we're taking sides with the devil. For example, if abortion was murder, if abortion fell into the category of, of killing, then anybody that votes for the party that supports that position of murder and killing would be taking sides with, with the devil. So then we could say that just like the devil does these things kill, steal, and to destroy anybody that votes for them or does something to support them, that vote, that support would be of the devil. Doesn't mean they're of the devil. But it means their works are. I don't see how you get around that. So let me go a step further. If I've offended you, (laughs) then we're already there. Why hold back now? Anything that we do that supports the devil's work is of the devil. It's of the influence of the devil. We're looking at who's on the side of the peaceful protests and the riots. For the Christian who wants to do the will of God, for the Christian who refuses to, to agree with Or join up with the devil in his agenda or his purpose. The Christian has no other choice in this next election except Trump. Now, folks, I don't have to tell you that I'm a Trump supporter. You know that. But I don't believe Trump is the Messiah. I'm not looking for him to save the world. But with the situation we've got and the campaigns that are taking place, there's only one of the two campaigners that's a friend of the church. And it ain't the Democrat. So just as Peter was inspired by God to say who Jesus was, he was influenced or inspired by the devil to say no to the, the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus told him was coming. How are we supposed to stay on God's side and stay away from the devil's side? Folks, that's where knowledge of the word comes in. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say my people are destroyed because they're weak. It doesn't say my people are destroyed because they don't walk in fellowship with God. It says people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Well, then knowledge needs to be the principal thing for us, doesn't it? Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is the um, story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. You may recall that there was a place, tradition tells us, that a rich man built these sheds or lean-tos around the the pools of uh, of Bethesda to try to bring comfort to the sick people that were there. And the Bible tells us that every now and then, an angel would come down and trouble the waters. And the first one in after the troubling of the waters was healed. Doesn't matter what the condition was, big, little, serious, or not. The first one in got healed. And so Jesus comes to that place and he asks the man, wilt thou be made whole? Jesus, the first thing Jesus does, knowing that God sent him there, knowing that God sent him there to do a specific work of healing, to take the type of healing away from the angel troubling the water and to point it to him, Jesus himself, as the Christ. The first thing he does is he looks for faith. I'm reminded of a scripture where Jesus talked about himself coming back. And it said when he comes back, Will he find faith on the earth? He asked the question Will he find faith on the earth? Well, Jesus was looking for faith out of this man at the Pool of Bethesda. The man at the Pool of Bethesda, though, apparently he was crippled in some way or another. He complained and said, I'm too slow to get in. I don't have a man to put me in the water when the water is troubled. And then Jesus speaks to him Jesus troubles the waters of mankind and speaks to him and tells him to rise, take up his bed and walk and immediately he was healed well this created quite a stir with the religious leaders let's see, let's back up to um, let's back up to verse 12 this is after he was healed and took up his bed and walked then the Jews asked him what man is it which said unto thee take up thy bed and walk And he he that was healed wist not who he was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered him and said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Folks, there's a lot of Jesus' ministry that was under persecution because he didn't follow the laws of the Jews. Jesus clearly said here, that the work that he did, the healing work that he did on behalf of the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, was done because of that's because that's the way God works. Jesus goes on to talk about this and expand on this a little bit more. Then Jesus answered and said, "This is after they were upset and it stepped up their efforts to kill him." Because they claimed that he said, by saying God was his father, he made himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. For the father loveth the son, and shows him all things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. Let me ask you a question. Is God more Jesus' father than he is yours? I know we get into some of this territory and it's almost too sacred to suggest, but the Bible's real clear about it. The Bible's real clear that God loves you just like he loved Jesus. As a matter of fact, that was part of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Now, Jesus also makes a big deal about saying he's not doing this stuff of himself. He makes a big deal about doing what the Father has sent him to do and only doing the will of his Father rather than his own will. Does that mean Jesus didn't want to do these things that God was directing him to do? Certainly not. But he's operating by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, That came on him when he was anointed by John in the Jordan River. Baptized by John in the Jordan River. It says the the Holy Ghost descended upon him like a dove would fly from the sky. Landed on his shoulders and stayed. Jesus always credits the authority that's been given to him. As the source of his power. And not his own works or his own ability. Verse 21 For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickens who he will. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death to life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Notice verse 27. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. Notice it doesn't say because he's the Son of God. Jesus has authority to execute judgment. Now the judgment that he's talking about is not judging people. He's not talking about judging human beings. There will come a time where we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we did here on this earth. Whether we operated by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to follow God and his will and his word or whether we operated by the influence of the devil and did whatever the rest of the world is doing. But that's not the judgment he's talking about here. Where he's talking about executing judgment, he's talking about executing judgment on on sickness and disease. Executing judgment on the works of the devil. John said for this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the judgment he's talking about. He's talking about executing judgment on spiritual death and all the consequences thereof. He's judging the devil, not man. Now notice what gave him that authority. Notice what gave him authority to execute judgment. Not the fact that he was the son of God, but the fact that he was the son of man. In other words, God really must meant what he said in Genesis 1-26. When after creating everything in the Garden of Eden, after fully supplying it for mankind, He said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the works of our hands. God made man to be the God of this world. God made man to have control over everything that he had created, that God had created. Well, if God's original plan for man was to have authority on the earth, who can change that? Who has the power to change what God said would be? Now, I know a lot of people have the idea, and it wasn't too awfully long ago that I thought, according to this way myself, it's real easy to say when man fell, he lost his authority. When man sinned, he lost his authority. Well, says who? Who's big enough to change the will of God? Is the devil strong enough to make that change? I like to think about what things were like before the fall. And at that point in time, during that time period, whatever it was, we seem to have the idea that God made man on the sixth day, rested on the seventh day, and by the noon on the eighth day, he had already fallen. And that may be exactly the way that it was, but we really don't have any, any indication of that. Man could have spent hundreds of years in the Garden of Eden, repopulating the earth before sin ever invaded. There's really no way to tell. But one thing that we do know is that prior to the fall, every bit of knowledge, every bit of truth that was received and acted on by Adam and Eve came from God. God was Adam and Eve's school. Everything they knew Everything they learned, they learned at the hand of God. God's Word, therefore, was the source of their life. It was the source of everything that they had, everything that they did. Everything they knew of the earth came from God. When man fell... And the consequence of spiritual death passed on Adam and Eve and and therefore upon all men. When that took place, they lost the ability to operate by their spirits and became slaves to the flesh. That means that everything that they learned from that point forward came through their five physical senses. Now, they didn't have more of a body after the fall than they had before. But before the fall, they lived out of their heart. They lived out of their spirits. They lived out of a connection with God through righteousness, through God's righteousness that was unlike anything that we can imagine. We know that God gave them authority to operate here on the earth and that their words carried power. Words are always the deliverer of of authority. Words are always the containers of authority. That's why the devil wants to deceive you so that he can get you saying things contrary to God's will. He keeps operating and will always operate this way to try to deceive man to use his authority against himself. And against his better interest. Jonah said from the belly of the fish. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In other words, Jonah is saying those those that go, uh, go by the things that they can see and feel. Forsake the mercy of God for deliverance. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that knowledge that will put us over, that knowledge that will bring us victory is the knowledge of God's Word. It's the knowledge of God's Word. So just in the same way that Jesus says God has given him, Jesus talking about himself in verse 27 of John 5, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. That same authority is can and should be exercised by you and me because we're men. We're flesh and blood. We're the ones that were given authority here on the earth. So just as Jesus executed judgment in, in, uh, uh, against the works of the devil, we through our words have the same opportunity because God is just as much our father as he was Jesus. And the argument that the Jews made that when Jesus said God was his father, he was making himself equal with God. In that same manner, we're equal with God too. Now don't get squirrely on me when I say that. That doesn't mean we have the same power that God has. But it does mean we have the delegated power that he gave us. Now our authority doesn't work in heaven. It works here. And so when Jesus said that I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Notice he starts with the earth. Whatever you bind here on the earth. Shall be bound in heaven. In other words the powers of heaven will back you up. Whatever you loose here on the earth whatever you allow here on the earth heaven will back you up on that too but he, all, he starts with both of them binding and loosening he starts with both of them here on the earth not up in heaven now that's completely opposite of the way most of the church world operates most of the church world is thinking that whatever God's will is in heaven then somehow or another he'll make it work down here well the only problem is it keeps out of the loop the one that was given authority and that's man you and me God is not a usurper of man's authority. He's the one that gave it to him to begin with. He's not going to take it back. He didn't take it back when Adam and Eve fell. He won't take it back from you and me. We're the ones that have authority here on the earth. That's why Jesus spent so much time talking about authority. One of my favorite scriptures is in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about the exercise of authority to overcome the the temptations of this world or the storms of this world. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice they were not astonished at him. They're not astonished with the thought or with the, the saying, look how powerful Jesus is. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the miracles and the healings and the wonders that have taken place. They're astonished at his doctrine. For, here's why they were astonished, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the word one is in italics. If you're reading along with me in the King James, the word one is in italics, which means it's not there in the original. Now, I'm sure the translators are trying to help us understand what they thought Jesus, or the word was saying about Jesus. But in this case, they didn't do us a favor. Because here where it says, the reason they were astonished at his doctrine For he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. The words as having literally mean how to hold. The word as is talking about the manner in which something is done. The how something takes place. The word having means to hold. So they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Well, how does that relate to the story of the building your house on the rock? The how to exercise authority is to use the word of God as your foundation. In other words, to be a doer of the word. Now, that means you're going to have to overcome the deception of the enemy. That means we're going to have to identify our source of truth. now as I said the devil is stepping up his efforts which means according to the parable that we talked about before there are two main areas he's going to step up his efforts in causing us trouble, affliction and persecution or he's going to increase his efforts to try to distract us more and more and more Jesus operated in a great degree of his three-year ministry under persecution. And the biggest persecution he got was the breaking of the Sabbath day. Jesus would heal people right and left on the Sabbath day, and it would drive the Jews nuts. (laughs) I think he did it sometimes just to tweak them. But folks, the devil has always been the one to try to tell us when when we can and when we can't worship God. Paul experienced a great deal of persecution in his life and ministry. And it all came down to the same thing. Man trying to dictate to Paul what he can and cannot do. What he should or should not do. Folks, we shouldn't think it a strange thing to find out that the institutions of this world are working against the church. It's just the way that it goes. We're in contact with people around the country and around the world. And certainly different states and different nations are experiencing lockdown or restrictions or whatever you want to call it in different ways or in varying degrees. But one of the things that I marvel at is how God has brought us through. Do you realize if we did not have our own church building, there would be no opportunity for us to have church under the present circumstances? I mean, think about all the trouble the devil tried to cause us when we were building this building. Makes sense now, doesn't it? We've got friends and pastors and know of other churches that have their own renovated buildings but they can't according to the landlords they can't even use the building that they're paying rent on because of their state restrictions where would we be if God hadn't given us this building now don't get me wrong I don't worship buildings shouldn't care less about that but even the signs that we built this thing we're able to socially distance. Where would we, would we be with it if God hadn't brought us here this way? I remember when we were in the middle of the, the toughest part, really, of the building and the lawsuits and all the things that were going on. I asked the Lord, why is this happening to us? Baptist churches don't have this kind of trouble the Presbyterians don't have this kind of trouble the Methodists Methodists certainly don't have this kind of trouble and the Muslims can build anything they want wherever they want it why are we having this kind of trouble and the Lord told me one word he said preparation now that can mean a lot of different things And I, over the years, have looked at it in a lot of different ways. One thing that kind of stuck with me is if that was preparation, then that kind of implies that a worse and tougher thing is coming down the road. I tried not to meditate on that much. (laughs) But that could be one of the meanings. Where would we be if God hadn't led us this far? The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let me close with this. Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 15, Paul said, Wherefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That must mean this is something he prays for them over and over and over again. If he's not ceasing in it, then he's continuing in it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The spirit of seeing and knowing. The spirit of seeing and knowing. Now, folks, you're never going to have the spirit of seeing and knowing make a significant impact on your life until you learn to meditate in the word. Until you learn to speak the word of God to yourself again and again and again. And give the Holy Spirit the opportunity for that word to have an impact on your spirit. That's where wisdom and revelation comes. It comes through fellowship with God through his word. I should also add that that meditation will be the anchor of your soul. A lot of people are fearful because they're spending more time reading the news than they are reading the Bible or meditating in the Word. I really don't like to use the term reading the Bible because the way most people read the Bible, they don't get much out of it. They're just trying to keep up with some kind of daily reading schedule or something like that. You'd be better off meditating in one verse of Scripture from day to day than you would be trying to read chapters So he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, that word understanding is spirit, the eyes of your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Folks, Paul was not in doubt about what God wanted him to do. And that's the position that he teaches these things and writes these letters to the church so many christians are unsure am i doing the right thing should i do something else should i move should i be somewhere else i don't know what god wants for me to do well you're the only one that can find that out it's a pretty common thing for people to ask me not so much people of our church but people to ask me to pray for them that they'll know the will of god for their lives Well, if they don't know the will of God for their lives, what are they doing now? Folks, that's step one, to find out what God wants you to do. But unfortunately, too many Christians go through life and never do find out. They never do find their place. And the reason for that is because God just doesn't give you a thought and tell you things through your mind. He impacts upon your spirit first and foremost. Your spirit is where you communicate with God, not through your mind. You You can't reach God through your mind anymore than you reach God with your hand. And it's only by meditating in the Word that you tap into what God's will for your life really is. Now, God's will for all of us is the same in many respects. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But when it comes to God's individual plan for your life or his plan for your individual life, that's where fellowship through his word comes in. I talked to pastors through years, and so many of them don't know if they're really doing what God wants them to do. I can't relate to that. How do you pastor if you don't know what you're doing if, you're doing what, if you don't know you're doing what God wants you to do? Come on, come on. Wow. Knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do is the only thing that holds me steady. Thank you, Lord. Well let's see if we can get to this prayer. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding or your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, who you are in Christ and what belongs to you because you are in him. Verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Folks, there are four words that are used in this verse of Scripture, Ephesians 1.19, that all mean power. Different types of power, but they all mean power. The first one is translated power. That's authority. The second one is translated working. That's the word power as well. The third that's used is the word mighty. That means power too. And then the fourth one is the last word in the verse, and it is power. So here's Paul praying by the Holy Ghost that the father of glory would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of our spirits would be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints again who we are in Christ and what belongs to us and what power, 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 power we have now it may just be me but I think he's trying to make a point power, 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 power. Now folks just saying it like that identifies that we, the church are falling short in what belongs to us or who we are. One of the things that just blows me away is in uh, 2 Thessalonians I think it's chapter 2 where Paul talks about the mystery that works in us. He talks about the power of God that's in the church. That power restricts and restrains the devil for bringing forth the Antichrist before the time. And the Antichrist isn't really revealed until after the church is gone. It's one of the early stages of the book of Revelation, or I'm sorry, one of the early stages of the seven years of tribulation. But if you look around at what's going around around us today, We've got a situation where you can't hardly do business unless you're wearing a mask. Now, these masks really chap me. Now, let me tell you why. If you've got a mask that you can breathe through, then how does that stop a virus? What's bigger, an oxygen molecule or a virus? they're both microscopic and so for somebody to think that they're doing some good wearing a mask is just nuts but we all wear them I started off refusing to wear one but I missed Costco so bad I just had to start wearing one (laughs) now the mark of the beast is also going to be along that same line I can see the wisdom of God in not allowing the mark of the beast to come until the the midpoint of the tribulation as a kid I used to be so scared what if I somehow accidentally take the mark of the beast then am I damned for all eternity type stuff But we're doing something, we're forced to do something that symbolizes our willingness to submit. That bothers me more than anything. And so... I just choose to mix faith with what I'm doing. And I'll purposely, not always, but purposely wear it down underneath my chin. And if anybody at the store says something to me about it, I give them an earful. Excuse me? You want to take it from here? (laughs) Let's just say I have. (laughs) To realize that the church is the hindrance the antichrist coming forth as disjointed as the church is as disagreeable the beliefs of much of the church really are the fact that we can't even agree together on things like the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Holy Ghost And still have the power of God to stop the devil's greatest work from coming to pass. That's fascinating, folks. That's something to meditate on. For the devil to not even be able to do his greatest work. The work he's been working toward from the beginning. Just because we're here. Just because we're here. Now, we're not here exercising authority. I would dare to say that less than 10% of the church world in this present time knows anything about authority. So if, you're not, if you don't know anything about authority, you can't be exercising it. But to recognize that just the presence of the church keeps the devil from doing his greatest work Just us being here is enough to keep the devil from prevailing. Folks, that's power. That's real power. That's real power. Upon the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus said he would build this church. I'm glad that's his job not mine and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and we have been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven that whatever we bind on earth whatever authority we use to to prohibit here on the earth shall be bound in heaven And whatever we exercise authority to lose here on the earth. Heaven backs us up on that too. Folks, we've got authority we've never even tapped into. We know that authority extends to everything the devil has power over. Luke 10, 19 Behold I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you by any means includes sickness and disease by any means includes government edicts and orders nothing shall by any means hurt you in the name of Jesus let's pray oh father we love you we thank you for who you've made us to be we thank you for your great plan of redemption your plans, your purposes being carried out here on the earth father we thank you for the authority you've given unto us and we ask your forgiveness for looking to you to do things that we should be exercising authority toward ourselves Father we thank you for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our spiritual enlightenment would be opened that we would know the hope of your calling our perfect place and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as Christians your children And that, Father, we would know the power, the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The ultimate power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, we're not going to complain to you about the times that we live in. Because these are days of great glory. You said that the glory of the latter-day house would be greater than of the former. So we expect the same things that we read in the book of Acts, Father. When we read of Peter's shadow healing people that were in the streets... We want some of that too, Father. When we read of notable miracles that were done in plain sight for everyone to see and that no one could argue against those things being done by the power of God. We believe for that as well, Lord. Quicken us, Holy Spirit, to the truth of the word. And we commit to you, Lord, that our source of truth is and will be the very word of God. We thank you, Father, for the great glory of these last days. Men may wax worse and worse, but the power of God will increase greater and greater in the earth for all to see and know. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price for us. We commit to serve you, Lord, in every way of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to stick around and pray for a few minutes after the service. If you can stay with us, we invite you to do so.